Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? What the fuck, Nicks? Out in the streets. Fighting the good fight. Thank you for doing that. It's fucking scary, crazy, righteous, chaotic, out of control, focused a lot of things going on at once and i tend to be at this point somewhat paralyzed with grief and trying to compartmentalize i don't want to be at the guy at the protest crying about his own problems but i will throw some ideas out there for you in this time of uh righteous indignation peaceful protesting, fury, a few places where you can um, kick in a few shekels, contribute a few dollars to show your support. These are places that make a difference. Black Voters Matter Fund. They work directly and successfully on increasing the political power of black communities through voter registration and engagement on the local level, not just during presidential elections. That's blackvotersmatterfund.org. NAACP Legal Defense Fund, police reform and racial justice efforts need litigation and advocacy to be successful. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, N. A-A-C-P-L-D-F. N-A-A-C-P-L-D-F dot org. And of course, the um, ACLU will continue to be helpful for maintaining the First Amendment rights of protesters and fighting legal challenges in court. It's a charity I support yearly. ACLU dot org is where you can go to... uh, to do that so I'm still yeah. before I get too far look you know with things coming undone at the seams I don't really know what you you people want to listen to or what you know what is relevant to you but today uh, my guest is G.E. Smith um, who you know is the 
former band leader on Saturday Night Live. He's also been the guitarist for Bob Dylan, David Bowie, Roger Waters, Tina Turner, among many others. He's got a record coming out in August called Stony Hill. It's a collaboration with soul singer Leroy Bell. And, you know, I got the opportunity to talk to a guitar player before the shit hit the fan in my life and in the world. Well, obviously the shit has been hitting in the fan. The shit has been hitting the fan in the world for for a while. But uh, but you know what I'm saying. So I, I took it and I talked to him. And it's, uh, you know, it's me talking to G.E. Smith about guitars and stuff. Maybe Maybe that'll be nice for you. I don't know. Maybe you want to break. I, uh, I've been ranting and raving about encroaching fascism in this country for, what, since 2016? I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't think these protests are going to stop, and I'm not sure they should. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of injustice. And I've just got to protect my mind from hopelessness. You know what I'm saying? And now I've become very focused on my cat, Monkey, who is ill, old. Some days are better than others. But in this void, in this absence of Lynn here, yeah, I wake up at four in the morning and I go through the memories. Most of them good. It's hard. It hurts. I'm not obsessing about bad things. But then I realize I got a sick old cat downstairs. So I've gotten into the habit where I'll go downstairs and lay on the couch and see if Monkey wants to get on my chest and lay there. My old sick cat. And, you know, just like love the cat. It's weird, you know. It's weird to be a guy who's 56 years old and is just sort of getting the hang of what love feels like. To give it and get it. You know, receive it and let it out. And I start, I just started realizing like, well, I don't know how much time I got with this cat. So I go down there like four in the morning with a blanket and I lay on the couch and hang out with monkey for a couple hours in and out of sleep, thinking about life, thinking about Lynn, thinking about the end of the world, listening to my cat purr and then that kind of levels it off. The purr of an old cat is kind of like a, some sort of universal frequency of calm. I don't even know how he does it. I can't do it. A purr's got, like, there's several different layers of sound going on. It sounds like two or three different layers of sound for a good, wheezy old cat. So I've been doing that, just talking to cats, just yelling at monkey, like, what's going on? Are you dying? Is today the day? Are we dying today? Do we have to go to the vet and die today, monkey? So, G.E. Smith has this new album coming out. It's a collaboration with soul singer Leroy Bell. You guys know him. You might have been annoyed by him on Saturday Night Live. He brought that up. Some people were very annoyed by him. But this is me and G.E. Smith uh, 
coming right up. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, GE? How you feeling? Everything's good, Mark. Looks like a comfortable situation up there. Where where are you? Amagansett, out on Long Island. Oh yeah? Yeah. But you don't come from there. You just that's where you settled, huh? That's yes. I've been here for for a long time. Forty years. Is that by the water? It's not far from the water. You don't really want to live right on the water unless it's just a summer house. Uh-huh. Because the, the the wind off the ocean just tears the house apart, you know. Oh really? Yeah, really, it's really rough. You know, the, the people that live right by the water, they're just spending money all the time. Fixing the house? Yeah. So where'd you grow up? In Pennsylvania. Like rural? Stroudsburg. Where is it in relation to a, a city? It's, it's, it's in the Northeast. If, if you're coming across Route 80 yeah. from anywhere in the West, when you get right to the New Jersey border, it's called Delaware Water Gap. Oh, okay. And it's, it's the next town west of that. Yeah. And when I was a kid, it was just a tiny little town. Yeah. You know? But now, like every place else, it's it's all grown up and there's lots of people there. And there's about a thousand people that, when they were working, commuted every day to the city. Oh, is that it's one of those commuter towns. Yeah. Did your dad work in the city? No, no, no. My dad worked right there. Yeah. He worked right there. He was a, a an engineer, a structural and chemical engineer, and he, he worked, you know, for a big company there. And, oh, and really? Fact, Not for yeah. the city, just for a big uh, no. corporation. Big yep. So, and 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 your mom was? Did she work too? Yep. My grandmother, who I grew up with, um, had a gift shop in ah. town, Holiday Gift Center, and my mom always worked there with her. Oh, that's nice. Like cards yeah. and stuff. All that kind of stuff, you know, little glass. Yeah. Things, you know. Uh, all kinds of stuff, jewelry, you know. Yeah, the general. The, you don't see many of those general gift shops anymore. There was always one of those where it was just like a little bit, a little bit of everything, little tchotchkes that you know people could walk through and go like, "Oh, that would be nice, right? Easy." Yeah. yeah. And when when I was a kid, at least it was a big uh, summer area. A lot of people from the city, yeah, had second homes there. Yeah. And so in the summer, it'd be crowded. And, the, and there was a lot of uh, people around, a lot of jazz musicians from the uh, city. From Philadelphia or there. from, uh, or from uh, New York? From New York City. Uh-huh. would come there in the summertime. So when I was a kid, you know, when I was like 
12, 13, 14, I got to hear a lot of great music. Really? Um, Where'd they play? Out in a, they have a, a, an outdoor thing? Nope. There's a, a bar, a place called the Deerhead Inn. Uh-huh. That, that was a jazz spot. And they you let know? you in? No, but I could sit on the porch. Ah. And like, sometimes I'd go over there in the afternoon and sit out on the porch and these guys would be in there rehearsing. And I heard uh, a lot of great jazz players, uh, uh, John Coates, this piano player, Pharaoh Saunders, the sax player. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Zoot Sims, Al Cohn, you know, a lot of those yeah. guys from the 50s, 60s jazz scene were there in the summertime. Wow. And you just like took it in. Were you playing guitar yet? When did you start that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I started playing. I got a guitar when I was four. Four? And by, yep. There were, uh, I went down in the basement with my mother to do, she was going to do the laundry. Yeah. And there was an old guitar hanging on the wall. I said, what's that? She said, that's called a guitar that used to belong to your Uncle George. And uh, I said, can I have it? She said, sure. It's been hanging up there for a long time. So she gave it to me and I just got obsessed with it. What was that guitar? It was just a uh, cheap acoustic guitar. Like a Harmony or K or something? Collegiate. Collegiate uh -huh. brand. Uh -huh. it was. But like a <laughs> Harmony. Yeah. You know, probably made in Chicago. Uh huh. Like a lot of that stuff was back then. And, uh, and that yeah, started I wish I still had that guitar, but it's long gone. Oh, yeah. You, I have a I have an old K from the 50s. Yeah. And a K acoustic that, you know, yeah. it's, you know, they, they great stuff. Yeah. I mean, it sounds okay. You know, it's got a spray paint. It's like the pick guard is painted on. It's like not even right. That, right. right. Yeah. 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 I got yeah, that. A lot, from, of the, a lot of the great blues records were made on those kind of guitars. You know, I know they, you can feel that I, you can, you hear the sound. I once interviewed uh Taj Mahal in here. Yeah. And uh, he picked the thing up. He didn't want to play, but he picked that thing up for two seconds and played like a, uh, a Skip James riff and moved it and kind of track, you know, tracked it into the African groove in like three seconds. You know, he just brought the thing right. to life. Like it was almost like a, a time machine. It was fucking yep. unbelievable. No, Taj is great. And he's, he's a, he's a real musicologist. You yeah. Know, he really knows. He's a very, very smart guy and knows his stuff. Uh, there's a bar here in Amagansett in this town where I live called the Stephen talk house. Yeah. And they get, especially during the summer when all the people from the city are out here, they get big acts, you know, yeah. national acts. And I went there one time to see Taj. This is probably like in the eighties. And uh, he had a band and they were great and they were playing. And at some point he got up from where he was in front of the band and he picked up an acoustic guitar, an old national, you know, metal body national. Yeah. And he kind of went up in the back of the stage and leaned against the wall and he played this this uh, old blues song. I think it's a Charlie Patton song. It's called Peavine Blues. Yeah. And he just played it all alone. No microphones. Yeah. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. That's wild, man. I, 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 I When people can channel yeah. that stuff. I had a similar experience in Tucson, Arizona at the Tucson, Arizona Blues Society. I was visiting my brother and they had paid John Hammond Jr. to come out. So it was just like 40 people in there. And he yeah. did the same thing with uh, Hellhounds on my trail. Just yeah, him. Yeah, the Robert Johnson stuff. Man, and like you, to hear that stuff played properly is yep. fucking crazy, man. It really is. Yeah. It really that, is. He's got, he's, a, he's really an interesting player too. But so 
wait, now wait, is Smith the, your real, the family name? Yeah, Smith. Um, my family's Lebanese. My father was Lebanese. Yeah. And uh, I grew up very much in that, like the food, you know, because I said my grandmother was there, you know, yeah. uh, my dad's mom. So she was 100% Lebanese. My father's 100% Lebanese. And they, so I grew up with that food and that kind of atmosphere, you know, and uh, the family name had been Haddad. Uh-huh. And Haddad in Arabic means blacksmith. Yeah. And, and the legend was that when my great grandfather, whose name was Boutrous Haddad, when he came over, yeah. he didn't speak English, but they had written on a piece of paper in Arabic and then in English, Haddad. And then they'd written blacksmith underneath uh -huh. it. Right. And the legend is he gets to Ellis Island and the and the the guy, the immigration guy, looks at it and he says, Well, what do you want to be? Black or Smith? And he didn't even know what the guy was saying, and he just pointed <laughs> at Smith. And that's how we wound up being Smith. <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story. So when you start playing, when do you start when do you get the first guitar that you make a choice to get? So when I was seven, yeah. by then I, I had figured out some chords and uh, it was um, the, the folk music thing was happening. You know, what they call the folk scare. Yeah. You know, the folk scare. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Who calls it uh, that? Oh, a lot, of, a lot of guys in the business <laughs> call it that. You know? um, and uh, I was learning that kind of stuff. And... Uh, a woman was at our came over to our house and she saw me playing that collegiate you yeah. know, instrument and she said oh you you can play you know she said do, do you want a real guitar i'm seven what am i going to say yeah yeah you know so then a couple of days later she shows up with with a little martin you know a good acoustic guitar wow and not only that she brought along her the, the girl that was working for her as a nanny who was like maybe a 14, 15 year old Irish girl. Uh huh. And that she showed me some stuff, this Irish girl. Uh huh. She showed me how to finger pick. Really? You know, which was so great. Because I, I, I want to do that better. Oh man. Before that, I was, I was playing with a pick. Yeah. And, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but she showed me that what they call Travis picking, you know, it's like the alternating bass with the thumb. Yeah. And then if you pick out the melody with your fingers, all three fingers, that was great. I was really lucky that, that I got that when I was that young. I talked to guys that do the blues two finger picking thing. A lot of guys, the real guys would do just one finger. Yeah. So I'm in one finger, but I use all, all five. But see, I got this big, long finger. Now yeah. Yeah. Finger. Yeah. I do these rakes with that, you know, rang, you Oh, know. that's not for Coke. <laughs> no, that was a that used to be the thing that they did in the. 80s. Yeah, no, I know it was. Yeah, people would always say that to me, but no, yeah. I always just let to, my fingernails grow long to play. Make, you know, yeah, do the picking. So, yeah. so the Irish girl showed you how to finger pick, and then you yeah. locked into that. That's a good thing to knock out when you're young, huh? I was lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what? What? How does the how does the style evolve? In in January of 1963, it was my 11th birthday. Yeah. And my, I wanted an electric guitar. Right. So my mother took me around. There was a couple of little music stores out in the country or, you know, and we looked at some electric guitars and we found a uh, used Fender Telecaster. Yeah. And, and we got it. It was $100. I was born in January 1952. And some years later, when I found out you could take the neck off the guitar and see yeah. the date, 
the guitar is January of 1952. No shit. Yeah. You're and both born in the same month. <laughs> and um, I was then starting to play in bands. That's got to be one of the oh, first ones, right? Yeah, pretty early. The, 1950 was mm. the first one. A first so telecaster or first broadcaster? Broadcaster was 1950. Broadcaster and Esquire. Right. In 1950. Then by 51, they're making... No more broadcasters. They're making Esquires and Telecasters. And the tele difference was with the Telecasters, they added that pickup. Telecaster had a had the neck pickup on it too. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Funny, my guitar says Esquire, but it's got the two pickups. Huh. But they did make you know Fender always just made whatever they needed to make that day. You know, use all the parts that they had and right ship them out. So I figure it must have been one of those, or I don't know. But, so um, so that was the guitar and then uh, yeah. you're 11 and you've got a, a telecaster and you're playing in bands already yes there was uh, uh some older folks uh, yeah um probably like in their 30s you know and, yeah and they had a band and there were so few musicians there that and where you and lived it, and it was such a small town and yeah my, my parents knew everybody so my dad knew these people and i got into this little uh band and it was like you know uh kind of lounge music you know yeah, standards yeah. sure old time stuff and some polka music because yeah. it's pennsylvania you know right <laughs> yeah. uh, it was an accordion in the band the guy with an acoustic guitar it was hysterical but you learned those chords you learned that I learned groove all, all, the... i learned yeah see that was great i got right away i started learning um songs and the polka you know, groove Check not button. just um blues based songs mm -hmm. at all but you know like standards we yeah. changed nat king cole songs and right stuff. uh louis armstrong my grandmother listened to louis armstrong nat king cole uh duke ellington that kind of stuff sure and so i i had heard that stuff since i was a baby on her floor yeah so i had that in my head i had i had those that sound in my ear yeah and that was very fortunate, you know, to be able to st start out with that good music. But yeah, but you're like, but it seems to me that the the core of who you are as a guitar player is a blues trip, right? Yeah, yeah, and, that's that's the music that I that I really loved. And then, like you know, when when the Beatles came out, about a year after I got that Telecaster, the Beatles came out, and I liked the Beatles, and I thought they were yeah. really cool, but I didn't want to play that. Yeah, you know that that. But then when the Rolling Stones came out <laughs> yeah. and the Kinks, right? when I first heard you really got me, that boom, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, went, yeah. Oh, yes, I get it now. Electric guitar, that's what it does. So that's the rock element. Where do you get the, where do you get your first dose of real guitar blues? Um, When, when the Stones came out. Yeah. The Yardbirds and those right. bands. Oh, yeah. I would, you know, obsessively read the, the album covers. Right. And they, you know, the old, you know, sure. LP. Yeah. You know, and that had who wrote the songs. Right. And I'm seeing these names, you know, and I'm reading interviews with, with the Stones and, and the Yardbirds and the Who and, and those bands. And they're talking about Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Elmore James. Right. So then I went and got those records. Yeah. That's I weird. Ordered those records from the little music store in town, you know. You got them, you and, got them to, uh, to, oh, they ordered them for you? Yeah, yeah, had to order. They didn't have those in stock, you know. They were hard to find, you know. Even when I was a kid, I mean, there were collections and stuff. But uh, you I, know, the real stuff is uh, 
So that so it was Muddy and Howlin' Wolf, the regular guys, Elmore James. Elmore James. I, I loved Elmore James. Yeah, it's great. So you're I fucking around Muddy. with that slide? Yeah, slide, which, I, of course, I didn't know that it was slide. I didn't know what that was when yeah. I first heard it. You know, yeah, yeah. Then, in the middle six, 64, 65, I heard that. I didn't know what it was. But then I saw Brian Jones play with the Stones. I saw him play slide, and I went, oh, he's got this thing on his finger. Uh, that where, makes that sound. Where'd you see the Stones? I saw them in uh, 1965 in Atlantic City at the Steel Pier, and uh, the McCoys opened. Hang huh. on, Sloopy. Sure. You know, Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer, yeah. Yeah. So that what? So what was that? Do you remember that being? Uh, in terms of in looking back, I mean, you've played with everybody and you've seen everybody, but at that age, at that time, those guys, was it a great fucking show? It was. To me, it was like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. You know? Yeah, yeah. I love the stones. I also that year saw the Who. Ah, uh, and sixty-five. That sixty-five. Yeah. Oh, and that wow. was um, that changed my life. You know, years later when I got to work with all these people, yeah. you know, I would always ask, especially the English guys. Yeah. When you were coming up, I asked Jagger. I asked David Bowie. Uh, a bunch of different guys. I said, when you were first coming up, now, let's leave your band out of it, but who was the best live band? Every single one of them said The Who. Really? Yeah. Nobody ever said anything else. The that, Who. That's wild. Of course. When I, asked, when I asked Jagger that, I didn't even finish the question. He just went, The Who. So they all like to watch, they all went to watch The Who. Yeah, The Who live, because... Great songs, they could all really play, and they could sing. They yeah. could really sing just like the record, because Townsend and Entwistle would sing the background vocals, and Daltrey singing the lead. They had the harmonies. They were doing it, you know. And they and could he really play that stuff live. And oddly, you you know, the sound. I mean, no one plays guitar like that guy. Nope. Right. It's some sort of like power rhythm lead hybrid. It's rhythm lead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um. He he was he was really unique, and he always said Townsend always said you know that he was a, a banjo player first, but not like country finger picking banjo skiffle, plectrum banjo you know yeah. with, with a pick yeah. So he learned all those rang 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 things from right playing banjo yeah. and then translated it onto the guitar, uh, uh, and you know obviously a great songwriter and yeah. a very angry guy you know so that anger came out in the music and they were just great you know you know their song i can't explain yep you know, the who record you listen to that I, I mean i bought that 45 when it came out in 65 yeah you listen to that record that's live in the studio there's yeah. no overdubs on that record when 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 townsend and Entwistle come in with the background vocal, i can't explain yeah you hear the compression, you you hear yeah. the the cymbals go away because they went up to their microphones and the drums weren't bleeding anymore. You know, right, and right, yeah, yeah. You hear it on yeah. the record when when the guitar solo comes on, the rhythm guitar stops because he's playing the solo now. He can't play rhythm guitar. Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing record, but that really shows you know how good they were live. 
yeah, I, 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 you know, I came to the Who late. I liked some of the, I, you know, I always like the Who, but I was like not a fanatic, you know, when I was a kid. But now, you know, that live at Leeds and all of it is pretty amazing. Yeah, his anger is great. You work with Roger Waters for a while. That guy's angry too. I talked to him too. He's yeah, angry. He's, a, he's an angry he's dude. Something. He's another guy, real smart guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, real poet, real political yeah. activist, got a real chip on his shoulder for fairly yeah. righteous reasons. Yep. It was funny because I talked to him, you know, he's one of these guys, a lot of times you talk to these dudes, you know, who are known for one thing, a singular thing, and they but they always think they're doing their best work now, you know, of course. So sure. yeah. So he tells me he's like, I don't want to talk about Pink Floyd. And I'm like, what do you what are we gonna right. fucking do then? Right. So but like within five minutes he was talking about Pink Floyd. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Yeah, right I, worked, away. I worked with Roger for, for six years. Six years? Yeah, we went all over the world, you know, doing the wall. Yeah, that must have been. Now, how, you know, in, in doing something like that, so you're playing the Gilmore parts, basically? No. no. I played a lot of bass in the show. Oh, wow. Because Roger was was acting. Interesting. I, I did play some guitar. Yeah. But uh, uh, there's a guy named Dave Kilminster uh -huh. who plays with Roger, who does the Gilmore thing. Oh, okay, Perfect. okay. So yeah, you're playing. He's, played, just... he's got it. Great, great musician. And Snowy White was also in the band. So there are three guitar players. Uh huh. But I played bass on on a, probably about eighty percent of the show because Roger was was acting. You know, the wall was very much a theatrical sure performance. You and know? people love that thing, man. That must yeah, man. I've never seen fanatical fans like those like those Pink Floyd, Roger Waters fans. No kidding. They are fanatical. Yeah, it's it runs deep with them. They, you know, even when I worked with with Bob Dylan, who obviously has very fanatical fans. Yeah, you know, in a kind of a different way. Yeah, they're all like seventy now. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of them are seventy, but there, there's younger ones too. You know, but what always really got me was like like with Bob and and with Roger. There's people that really think that that song was written for them specifically. Sure. Right. Even though they knew that Bob didn't know them or anything, right. they Bob wrote that for me. It speaks to him. It beyond speaking to him. It's a it's a weird kind of obsession. No kidding. Know? Well, the thing yeah. about the wall, you know, and, and that album in particular, it's sort of a a kind of timeless encapsulation of uh, an adolescent anger that goes yeah. all through your life. And I think that you know it, the possibility of that continuing to attract generations of younger people forever is probably pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we would play, you know, I mean, obviously with, with, with Roger, we played the big places, you know, we, we'd have minimum 25, 30,000 people at yeah. any show up to 90,000, a hundred thousand, you know, depending on where it was outdoors. Um, and the audience range would be from, in their seventies to young teenagers. Right. And they all knew the words yep. and everybody sang the songs. And yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's powerful. So what's this dynamic with, um, like, you know, in terms of you got muddy, you got Elmore and you got, you know, uh, Hal and Wolf, yep. but like, I've seen you speak about this, uh, this Bloomfield obsession. Yes. Now, like, you know, he's a guy, like, kind of fascinates me. So do you think that that first Paul Butterfield album, that's the one that kind of blew your mind out in terms of how you approach guitar? Definitely. Um, 
that record, which from everything I've ever been able to find out, they started recording right at the end. It's 1964. Yeah. And nobody can imagine now how that's unimaginable that a bunch of, you know, these young white guys from Chicago were so into that music. They had been hanging out in the clubs. They knew Muddy. They knew Wolf. Mm -hmm. They they had gotten up on stage and sat in with them. Yeah, know? yeah, little Walter. And, and they were smart enough. To, Butterfield did this. You know, he when he put that band together, he hired Sam Lay and Jerome Arnold, the drummer and the bass player, from Howlin' Wolf's band. Right. And I just saw the other night in uh, a little interview with, with Sam Lay, and he said, well, yeah, the reason I went with, with Butterfield is because he offered me $20 a show. And with Wolf, I got $7 a show. <laughs> so it was just like a financial thing for him, you know, <laughs> yeah, got yeah. a gig. But yeah, that, that record is, is, to me, really groundbreaking. Like in my mind, in my world, that's right up there with like the Beatles or something, you know. Right, that's, right. That's a life-changing record for me. So you're saying that this was the first example of a, a, a bunch of white kids who weren't just covering the songs. They were living the life they, and, yeah. and, and directly, you know, in mentorship with the original guys. Yeah. Yeah. They and and Bloomfield's playing on that record. It's so I mean, it, it's very stylistically correct. He's playing the blues. Right. You know. Right. But he's playing it. Um so technically advanced right from almost anything that had been played before almost mm -hmm. you know there, there were people hubert sumlin right howling wolf yeah played some stuff there's a there's a howling wolf song called louise yeah that was recorded in i think 61 or something where wolf it's a great song wolf's singing great but hubert plays a solo in that song that says everything anybody's going to say for the next 10 years. About Bluefield, Clapton, yeah. Jimmy Page, whoever you want to talk about. Yeah. Hubert Solo on Louise says it all. That's the template? That's Yep. To that, me. Yeah. I got to check that out because I've listened to yeah. a lot of stuff, but I can't identify that in my head. And Yeah, like, people I, don't know that song, but listen to that and listen to, to Hubert Solo, the way he comes in and the notes he chooses and it's just brilliant. Yeah. Are you friends with uh, Vivino? Oh, sure. Yeah. I know Jimmy, like, cause I used to do, you know, I'm a comic. I do Conan a lot and Jimmy would always, you know, let me play one of his guitars and show me yeah. licks and stuff. He's got a lot of great guitars. Yeah. And he's also, you know, he's also one of those guys, not unlike you, you know, he, he, you know, he did, he does, he studied the guys, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, he, you know, if you've got a question, he can resolve it for you, but he produced that. Uh, I think he, he produced a record for Hubert later yep. on. Yeah, yeah, he did a bunch of stuff with Hubert. I got to be good friends with Hubert. And, yeah. And uh, that was a real honor, you know? Yeah, he's um, an interesting guitar player. He was interesting and real wonderful guy. Um, what about he, Bloomfield? No, I never met never met Bloomfield. Yeah, but Hubert, you got to know him, huh? He lived a long yeah, time. Yeah, Hubert, I got to know. Uh, and we, we would do gigs, and a couple times I picked him up, and we we would have like maybe drive from New York down to Washington D.C. or something. Oh yeah, and him in the car, 
so we really got to talk. And, oh, that's you know, beautiful, man. Yeah, it was great. So you heard some of the good stories, huh? Heard some good stories. He had like a kind of stock repertoire yeah. of stories. Yeah, they do. Tell. But but we had spent enough time together that that he got away from those and and we really had some good talks. He, you know, he he really he was a very expressive guy and 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 he told me some great stuff. That's great. Yeah, he I taught me to- a great what? chicken recipe. He taught me a great thing how to cook because he, he was a, a good cook I oh think. yeah is it simple yeah. yeah it's simple yeah simple thing you get you know you get one of those rotisserie chickens yeah the mark it's already cooked and you bring it home and you cut it up and you got to carefully take the skin off yeah you know and then you put a bunch of you melt some butter in a big iron skillet yeah and you fry that skin and and you fry up some of the chicken meat. Yeah. And you take the wings and you fry the wings in that butter, you know, so they get really crispy and yeah. good. Man, it's good. I just had that last night. <laughs> Hubert someone's chicken. Hubert someone's chicken. Oh yeah. I talked to Buddy Guy and he's got a, a bunch of he's got one of those repertoire, the blues man repertoire. Oh yeah. Uh he's amazing. He is amazing. Both him and Hubert really kind of like they go out there, man. There's nothing, you know, kind of uh you, you, average and it's not a matter of average but they take real risks i mean they 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 do some weird shit on their guitars oh yeah buddy i, I made a, a record with buddy with yeah. um with the saturday night live band yeah he when i was doing the, the tv show uh after i was on i started in 1985 right and after i was on a couple of years the show had gotten pretty successful yeah i remember and, seeing you you always you were like the first thing everyone saw almost yeah yeah you know the that was nice you know they lauren gave me that spot there lauren michaels the producer yeah he gave me those little spots and and i really owe a great debt to him uh-huh. that, you know yeah that you know there's nothing as powerful as tv yeah. in the united states yeah and uh, that, that really got people to to know me and and what i was playing and stuff but anyway after we'd been on like two years maybe three years by about 88 yeah uh i could get a guitar player who was in town anybody that was passing through town and they would sit in with the band and this wouldn't be announced or anything oh yeah i remember that the yeah camera would come up and there would be hubert sumlin yeah or david gilmore or johnny winner or um eddie van halen you know right all different kind of but just great guitar players yeah and that, that that was wonderful to yeah to do that and play with all those different guys and get to hang out with them and stuff that was because i'm a fan you know yeah of course so I'm but you fan. got to you got to actually do a record with uh buddy huh got to do right re- yeah so so we had buddy guy on he was yeah. in town playing and uh he liked the band the musicians in in the saturday night live band only a corporation like nbc could afford to hire that band you know, right because they're like the best they're all great jazz guys. Yeah. You know, I'm this bar band guitar player. Yeah. And I get to be in that band with these incredible musicians. Yeah. I learned so much there. Yeah, it's, it you must know. be nice to you know, be to have that behind you. I mean, to have a band backing you. Oh, that, man. That they're never going to let you fall down, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I had to work to keep up with them. Believe yeah, me. I believe you. you know, to, to try to like play up to their standards. Which record did you do with Buddy? It's called, uh, I think it's called The Real Deal. Oh, okay. The live record. We did two nights in New York City and two nights in Chicago at Buddy's Club. We did some great stuff. I got him to do an Elmore James song. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, 
things like that, like not from maybe his normal repertoire. And um, we were one night we were playing and Buddy was just on. Yeah. And he was just the sound he was getting, you know, the electric. It just filled the air. Yeah. You know, it was just yeah. incredible. And he hits a note and he holds his guitar up in the air and he looks at me and he goes, man, I got some extortion on my amp tonight. <laughs> I said, extortion on my amp. And I used to think when those those guys yeah. would say those kind of things, because Hubert would say stuff like that all the time. Yeah. They knew exactly what they were saying. It's poetry. Right. It's poetry. <laughs> yeah. These guys are geniuses, you know? <laughs> yeah, Listen yeah. Listen to Sonny Boy Williamson's records. He is a poet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic lyrical content. He was funny, too. And they too. talk like that. Yeah. The guys, the real blues guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Telecaster thing and the Bloomfield thing, I mean, I saw you talk about your, uh, the G.E. Smith uh, signature telly. Right. Which I, you know, I'd never seen it before. Now I feel like I need to find one. Um, but that commitment to the Telecaster is sort of interesting. So, because Bloomfield eventually went to a 59 Les Paul, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm a big yeah. uh, Peter Green guy. You, you yeah. Like Peter Green, what, what do you think about him? Fabulous. Are you kidding? The Supernatural? You yeah. You know that song? Yeah. Supernatural? What is that? Nobody else ever did anything like that. That is impossible to yeah. play. Yeah, he was you out know? there, dude. He was so good. He so was so good. The the um great blues phrasing. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, he was very obviously very influential. Yeah, amongst guitar players. You know, Kirk Hammett has his guitar. I know Greeny. He's and, got it, and my buddy yeah. knows him, and he said I could come play it one day, which is just crazy. Wow, I wouldn't mind doing that. I mean, do you oh, feel just to touch it? Yeah, just to touch your yeah. hands to it. Do you do so? You 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 kind of feel that right? You know you 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 know that these these old guitars and these guitars that were used by certain people they've got a magic to them right well you just i think there's a psychological factor when when sure. you pick up a guitar like that yeah and you know the music that was played on it yeah it's inspirational yeah that's right you know the funny thing though that i found um i got to play a lot of the the famous guitars that that people have um, like I got to play, you know, Clapton's Blackie, uh -huh. Stratocaster. Yeah. You know, uh, I got to play Neil Young's Black Les Paul. What, that old Neil weird P90 thing with the tremolo on it? Yeah, with the P90 and the Firebird pickup. and Yeah. And um, both of those guitars, if they didn't belong to Neil and Eric. Yeah. And just it belonged to to just some guy, and he yeah. walked into a vintage guitar store and tried to sell it. You you wouldn't be able to sell it. You know, it's not like <laughs> yeah. this. You know, the, in, in the vintage guitar world, there's this like it's got to be all original, and it's got to right. Those right. Guitars were pieced together. You know. Yeah. Put together things. Right. They're ruined. They're ruined in the eyes They're of a ruined vintage. in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but, Look what they did in the hands of these guys. Yeah. That had them. Yeah. Wild. You know, so man. it's it's the person. It's not the guitar. I think that's true. I just bought a 60 US Paul Jr. Oh, man. Great guitar. Double cutaway. It's fucking great. Yeah. So you have the real thin, thin neck. A lot of 60s have that really yeah. skinny neck. Yeah. It's really thin. They have a sound. They do, man. It's spanky, they call it. They got a spanking sound. Yeah. Man. I plug it into that 53 and it's like, it's magic. Magic. Yeah. 
So you were you were uh, at SNL, but you played. Now tell me about this band, and we'll get to the new record. But you know, I don't want to keep you too long. But I can't imagine we got too much to do. But um, what is this Roger C. Real and the Morgue? Rue Morgue. Rue Morgue. Like, you know, the French word for street. Yeah, Roger C. Um, Real and the Rue Morgue. Right. So in um, 1971, when I was 19, uh, I was still in my hometown of Pennsylvania. Yeah. I would always play. You know, I've been playing. By by now, I'm playing seven nights a week. Yeah. You know, um, I, I would play any gig, whatever kind of music, any place, whatever. I didn't care. Yeah. You know, as long as I was playing. I'm still that way. And, uh, but in 71, a buddy of mine had been to Vietnam. He's a Hammond organ player, guy from my hometown. Yeah. And I'd been in bands with him. And he had been to Vietnam and then come home and went to the uh, New Haven University, like uh-huh. GI Bill yeah. thing, right? So he's up there in, in the New Haven area. And he calls me up like in the late spring around this time of year. And he says, Hey, our guitar player and his band up there, our guitar player has to go in the hospital and get an operation or something. He said, he's going to be out for two weeks. Can you come up and fill in for him? I said, sure. So I went up to Connecticut. I never went, never looked back. That was it. Yeah. I just got up there and got in this band and I stole the guy's spot, you know, in the band. But, um, so I get in this band after about a year or two called the scratch band, scratch band. the Scratch Band was was a, a Connecticut band. I have my old calendars from like 75, 76. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. We would we would play 250 gigs a year and never leave Connecticut. Really? Yeah. And you know how big Connecticut is, right? I know, yeah, man. Um, there used to be a lot of places to play live music. So, so I was in that band and that band worked out of a recording studio in a town called Wallingford, Connecticut, which is just north of New Haven. Yeah. And Roger Real was around there at that studio. Got it. And in 1977, you know, by now, uh, we're listening to um, a lot of reggae. It was a big Jamaican community in Hartford, Connecticut. And me and Bob Orsi, one of the other guys in the scratch band, would go up to Hartford to the Belltone record shop and get all these incredible records just in from Jamaica. You know, we're listening to that stuff. And then the punk stuff is starting to come out of England. Yeah. You know, the early, early punk stuff. And Roger Reel's really into that. And I'm listening to that stuff, too. So he says, I want to make a record. You know, would you play on it? Cause he knows that I know that style of playing. Right. Uh, and so we made this, this record and I thought it was a really good record at the time, but this tiny little studio had no means of getting it out there. Right. People hear it or anything. Yeah. You know? So it kind of just, there it was. And it was something cool. I had done. It's one of my favorite records that I've ever recorded on, but, uh, and then recently in the last couple of years, it, it, it resurfaced somehow and some people put some money into it and remastered it and they've put it out and, and I, it's making a little noise, you know? So yeah, I listened to it. It's great. There's, there's some good stuff on that record. Yeah. And you there's sound great. Stuff. 
And they, is, yeah. it, is that still that 53 telly? That actually on that record, it's a 55 telly because by then I was buying old guitars, you know, and had a lot of stuff. I still have the 52 telly that my mom got me. I had that my whole life and played that with everybody. I, I took it on the road with Bob Dylan, you know, for four years and played all over the world. Your first, him, you played Bob. your first telly with Bob Dylan for four years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you Hundreds toured, what, what years, what, what album was that through? Well, I don't know what album. Uh, I played with him live shows from 88. And then the last thing I did was in 1992 when they did that big uh, Bob Dylan 30th anniversary concert at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I was the, Bob hired me to be like the musical director for that. And uh, and your relationship with him was good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like how big of an operation was it when you were playing with him? Who, who was in the band? Well, he had He had, in the previous couple years... Before 88, when I started with him, he had done a tour with the Grateful Dead backing him up. No, I remember and that, yeah. Then he, then he did a tour with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, yeah, There's right. Great band, man. Great yeah. band. Great yeah, great life. band. Yeah. Tom and the Heartbreakers great. always always delivered. I saw them a lot. But um, he had done those tours with those very established bands. Yeah. Right? So now I think he wanted to get uh, a small band of just some guys that, that weren't necessarily, you know, an established unit right. that he would have to kind of fit into. Right. He wanted somebody that was going to fit into him. Right. So he, uh, he hired me and uh, a couple buddies of mine and, and, you know, we, we went out and played. It was just a trio, you know, uh, guitar, bass and drums and Bob. No kidding. Yeah. Did you and do a record with him? I, I never, recorded with them other than live stuff, right you know yeah no, i never did any studio work with him. and when we're, and when you work with him what he, because he's a guy that approaches his own music so differently you know over and over again right what you know what was it about the way you guys work together the what he expected of you or how did he evolve how'd you guys do the songs differently and what's what's his genius in 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 approaching think, his own music? i think that that what he liked about me and uh that that band was that he he likes to change. He doesn't like to play the song the same way, right? All the time, you know. A lot of people I've worked with, it's the same every time. You know, they get a, a show together, and, yeah, and that's kind of the way it is. And the song goes like this, and that's it. Bob liked to change stuff up, and and we were able to follow him. You know, I was I was able to because I always love doing that. I my favorite thing is to play with a good singer, yeah songwriter person and just follow them just watch their hands a lot of times with bob he would just start some song that we had never heard in front of (laughs) fifteen thousand people you know and we just play it i would just follow along with him and and we'd we'd play it it's like it's like playing with chuck berry (laughs) in a way i mean there's that story about chuck berry when uh who was it was bruce springsteen he always hired the local guys to back him and I, I don't think it was Bruce. Bruce goes, you know, what are we playing? And Chuck goes, uh, Chuck Berry songs. Chuck Berry songs. Yeah, exactly. So what was your big break with the, you know, playing these with what got you in with these guys? I mean, how did you start in the legit music business? Yeah, the legit music. I'm still not in the legit music business. Um, I was in, so I'm in playing in, in Connecticut. Yeah. Right. And at some point, a guy named Dan Hartman, who had been in the Edgar Winter Group, 
He wrote Free Ride. Oh, yeah. Come on and take a free ride. He was the bass player in that group. But he wrote great songs, Dan. And Dan had made a record and wanted to go out and and tour behind his his record. And he had seen me play with the Scratch Band. Right. And so he had had a a home in a studio in Westport, Connecticut. Dan passed away some years ago. But um, another great guy, and happened to be from Pennsylvania. So um, I played with a lot of Pennsylvania. I played with Daryl Hall and John Oates, you know, Pennsylvania guys. Then I just started meeting people and and getting these different gigs, you know. And I was at a a, a party one time in New York City, and David Bowie was at the party, and uh, David had a, a woman named Coco that worked with him for many many years. Yeah. And Coco came over to me at this party and she said, uh, I'd like you, you know, David wants to meet you. So I go over and say hello to David. I'm thrilled. You know, I can't believe it. And then a little later, she comes back over and she says, David's doing a video tomorrow. Do you want to be in it? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, of course. (laughs) She said, great. She tells me where it is and what time, you know, two o'clock. And I said, should I bring my guitar? And she goes, you're a guitar player? (laughs) And I said, yeah. She goes, wait a minute. And she goes over and then she comes back, bring your guitar. You can play the part of the guitar player in the video. <laughs> yeah. And then I wound up doing a very limited amount of, of live playing with David, but I did get to play with him a little bit. So, you know, you just be somewhere and you'd meet somebody. And then but did you, rec- you recorded with Hall & Oates though, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot. A yeah. lot. I was with them from 79 or 78, maybe to 85. And that's when you got the SNL gig. And then I had been around SNL in the, in the late seventies in the first five years. Oh, cause you were, seven. didn't you, you were involved with Gilda, right? Didn't you marry Gilda? And, and Gilda were married. Yeah. yeah. Um, she did a, a one woman show on Broadway Yeah. in the summer of 78. And I, I was in the house band there. That's how we met. No kidding. Yeah. She was kind of amazing, right? He was the greatest man. Nice, nice person. Yeah, so funny, so Mark. talented. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Hall of Notes, they were like hit machines, man. I mean, geez. they were huge. When, when I joined them, they were kind of in a slump. They had had like the Sarah Smile Rich Girl. Yeah, mid-70s, yeah. 75, 74, 75. Yeah, yeah. And, and they got real big. But then some stuff that they did didn't hit as, as hard. And um, when they hired me, at first, I was getting $200 a week, $100 to play guitar, and $100 to drive one of the station wagons. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and we, and we were playing bars. No kidding. That way, yeah, they went yeah. down that hard? Yeah, yeah. Holy you know, the shit. The business is very, the music business is very unforgiving, you know. Yeah, for sure. You're, yeah, but I mean, it seems. You're top or you're not. Wow. But then, then pretty quick, within about a year, uh, we were recording and, and they started having some hits and then private eyes was the first one that was a number one. And then they had, a then they just got huge, huge, you know, man eater. Yeah. And, and, uh, you make my dreams come true. Uh, so many songs. Wow. Just- so, but in between Sarah smile and man eater, they were playing dives. Yeah. Oh my God. That must've been a fucking lesson. Uh, yeah, but for me, you know, it was the same kind of places I'd always been playing when I first started. <laughs> yeah. So it was no different. But then when it took off, then all of a sudden now we're playing, you know, 
the the big arenas in play in towns and we're traveling and we're they got gigantically huge in japan we would go to japan for weeks wow and base out of tokyo and fly out to osaka and fukuoka and nagoya and hokkaido and all those places that must have been exciting it was amazing it was wonderful and that and that was my first taste of like the big time you know yeah playing yeah. With them so it, it was really exciting and, and you know we were young and a band like that uh a pop band like that attracts you know uh a lot of beautiful girls that's and, for sure know, yeah like yeah that. seemed like yeah. it yeah yeah so that's fun it so was. what about like when you when you recorded with jagger yeah was did you feel that there was tension in the band in the stones i didn't know anything about the stones because i at that point i only knew mick yeah later i i got to you know, meet Keith and, and but I mean, you love the Stones, Bill and, he, and stuff. You, you know? love the Stones. You know, Jagger was doing a solo record. How'd he pick you to do it? I mean, we were around. Mick was living in in Manhattan, and I was living in Manhattan, and we were around. Okay, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had met him. Yeah, and uh, I was doing Saturday Night Live. So yeah. he had seen me. Okay, and he 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 would come to the show and stuff. I, I remember sitting with him watching Stevie Ray Vaughan play. Right. Oh Saturday. wow, really? Yeah, you know, and talking about Stevie and 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 how he played and stuff. Wow! But um, what do you think? What do you think of that? Uh, you know, Stevie was something, huh? Oh, it's great. Stevie to me is the ultimate, and I mean this as a compliment. I mean this not in any derogatory way. Yeah. He's the ultimate bar band guitar player. Right. The ultimate. He could cover somebody else's song cover a Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. Do it pretty much almost as good, you know, as as Jimmy did it. Yeah. Which is really going somewhere. Yeah. Nobody else, nobody else could do that. Right. Yes. Stevie was fabulous and and really based in the blues, knew what he was doing, could really play. And a sweet guy. Yeah, it's so sad like yeah, it's so sad, man, the way he went down because he <laughs> And he was clean and just like, what a fucking horrible yeah. accident. At that place, Alpine Valley, I had just played there two nights before with, with Dylan. Wow. That same gig. And then two days later, Stevie plays and, and that thing happened. And I remember being at Soundcheck and we, we heard, you know, we heard the news. Mm. And and we were we were just devastated. Oh gosh, just terrible. Terrible. I, his brother's a good player too. Jimmy's great and yeah. a great guy. Great, an guy. amazing guy. Yeah, he now he was in the fabulous Thunderbirds. Yeah, I love him. Love the and fabulous seventies, like mid seventies when I was still in the scratch band, living in Connecticut. We would go and see the Thunderbirds. Great, and and man, they were they were great. I loved it. Yeah, I love seeing them. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They came did this old biker bar, sure. the Golden Inn in between right. Albuquerque and Santa Fe. And I was in high school and I was like, gotta see these fuckers. Yep. So, now, you grew up out there? You yeah, grew up in Albuquerque? I did, cool. yeah. I like Albuquerque. I do too. You know, it's a it's yeah. a weird place now. Uh, and you know, it got a little beat up, but I love it. Yeah, the whole country got beat up, man. That's for sure. It's still being How about beat, now? It's still being about beat, beat up. up. Yeah. I like the way things are now. The live music yeah, business is destroyed. Half the clubs won't come back they'll go they're gonna go bankrupt right they can't take off three months yeah 
these little places. Yeah. You know, the bigger places. Yeah. You know, city winery will still be there, but the, the, the little places, the joints, a lot of them won't be able to come back and, and it's terrible and it's going to have a, an effect for years on music. It's fucking sad, and we're in the middle of really it. Is. We don't even see. I don't see the. I don't see how we get out of it. We're still in the fucking tunnel here. We're still in the middle of it, and, and uh, nobody, nobody knows. So, well, this record that you did with the uh, Leroy Bell is a pretty powerful record. It's a. It, it's sort of a a, a a sort of a socially and politically relevant record these are songs I'm written. glad that you hear that i'm very glad that you hear that yeah man i mean you know these are songs written you know to the moment that we're living in now in a lot of ways yep and uh you know that it's there's a you know there's an intensity to it and honesty to it he's a hell of a singer how did this record come about um my wife taylor barton uh heard some of Leroy's songs uh-huh about a year and a half ago now maybe two years ago, she heard this stuff. And then in January of 2019, we got a hold of Leroy and invited him to come here to the house and sit. And I've been looking for a singer for 30 years. Well, you've you done know, a they, few records, but not that many, right? Solo records. Yeah, he's he's, he's done some records. And, what about and you? Songs. you, you mm -hmm. How many solo records you do? I did a few solo records. I don't know, two or three. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I listened um, to the first one. It's sort of the the kind of punky one. Oh, that one, yeah, in the world, yeah, in that the was world, nineteen eighty, yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty, yeah. So anyway, uh, Leroy came to the house, and we sat down, and he had just written that song, America, yeah, that's on the record, and I just loved it. You know, I said, "Well, yeah, okay," and we started playing it, and the way I played and the way he sang it, it it just fit together. You know, it was yeah, just one man. of those things. It was exactly what I had been looking for for all those years. So we started recording right away. The friend of mine has a re recording studio right near here. Uh -huh. We went over and, and right away started making, making some music. And uh, we wound up getting this deal with BMG. And the record was going to be released at South by Southwest in March. But of course, that got canceled. Right. You know, again, this whole thing with with the virus closing everything down. Yeah. Now, fortunately, here the digital world will work in our favor. That we will be able to get the record out in front of people. Uh -huh. We've made a video already for um for America. Uh, there were just talks starting around today, uh, doing another video for one of the other songs. But yeah, we we Leroy just writes that stuff that it is political and it is saying something but he doesn't slap you in the face with it yeah know? yeah no i like the uh, like the, also that song codine codine yeah that's i've always played that song i always loved that song I, when i was a, back in the folk scare yeah i saw buffy saint marie play that song probably in 19 62 or something uh -huh. you know and i always loved that song i've always performed it you know so i was glad to be able to get that on record well yeah it's like you know that that kind of folk groove played you know with that you know with your you know with your electric guitar it's got yeah. like it's great like you don't i you know it's familiar but you don't hear it a lot anymore and it just it sounds great and that's a it's a song about drugs right yeah i mean it's a song about yeah. codeine yeah, yeah codeine 
Yep. And so, you know, that that always, you know, is kind of an evergreen topic. But but who the sure. fuck who's playing drums, dude? Yeah, right. Who is that? Um now on Codon, I believe that that's Josh Dion, who is a a great drummer, uh lives in Brooklyn, and he's he's kind of like a really happening guy right now and and I was lucky I met him and got him to come and and play on so Josh plays on a bunch of stuff. Sean Pelton plays on some of the songs. On America, it's both Josh and Sean. Yeah. Good drum you know? sound on that record. Guitar sound yeah, great. They, thanks. Yeah, I, I thought that, that we did wind up getting some good sounds. Yeah, man. So, well, I, I mean, I wish you all the luck with that. And also, like, yeah. uh, so now you're still only, do you, do you, you got to have a 59 West Paul, no? I sold the last one I had. I've had a bunch of them over the years. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, After a while, you know, uh, I just wasn't ever playing a Les Paul. Oh, really? That was that was it. Yeah. 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 I had kind of like, you know, worn that out. I still have a couple, you know, but not a not a 59 Sunburst. Oh, no. Oh, right. Right. 54 Junior. Oh, yeah. 54 Junior. One of the first ones that is magic. I saw it on eBay about 10 years ago. I saw the picture of it and I went, that's really primitive. You know, look at that. The finish is weird. Everything about it's weird. And uh, it's just a magical guitar. Oh, that's like, that's a great looking guitar. I can picture it with the one pickup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yours. Yeah. But the single cutaway and the summer's finish. But um, I always play my Telecaster, you know? Yeah. But the guitar that I did a lot of this record with, mm. the Stony Hill record, is uh, a 1962 Epiphone Sheraton. Huh. Like a- Wait, I got it right here. I'll show it to you. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Right? Yeah. And this is a, a 62. Yeah. And again, I saw this on eBay. No kidding like about six, eight years ago. And I could tell, I've had Sheratons yeah. before. I've had other 62s. I had a blonde 62. But this one, I could tell something about it was magical. Huh. And it is. It's it's a, either either some uh, somebody worked, you know, at this point, Gibson was making Epiphones. Yeah. By 1958, they started. They right. bought Epiphones. And, um, this guitar was either made by an employee or was a custom order or something. Cause it's got a lot of unusual things. It's a little bit wider. Yeah. At the, at the nut, you know, the fingerboard's a little wider. Uh-huh. And I like, I like, I got big, big palms. Well, man, it's been great talking to you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, I remember a while back you got some flack for uh, playing at the Republican convention. That must've sucked. <laughs> well it was a um it didn't it doesn't bother me you know uh you're always gonna like when i was on saturday night live i would get fan mail you know yeah and if i got a thousand letters you know 900 of them would really like me and 100 of them would hate me yeah hate me there were people that hated me you know if you go out in the public that's gonna happen so here's my thing about it, playing the republican convention i'm not a republican yeah i do not support <laughs> Donald Trump. Right. I don't like Donald Trump. I think he's done a lot of really ugly things. Yeah. I think his um his subtle approval 
of this white nationalism yeah, thing yeah, yeah, sure. is just horrible. Yeah. And and has has set this country back a hundred years. Yeah. That's what America's about. Yeah. That's what that song America's yeah, about. Right. Yeah. Is that attitude, you know? Um So it's just a gig. You got offered a it was gig. A gig. Yeah. I've always I played at the 2012 Republican convention for Mitt Romney. Yeah. And he didn't win. Right? Yeah. I don't care. I've played at mafia weddings. <laughs> yeah. Right? They were great gigs. They paid a lot. They were nice. The food was good. Right. They were nice people. No, I hear you. Know? you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they were nice all the time, but they were nice to me. I think we can yeah. we could probably bank on them not being nice all the time. Probably not, you know. Um No, the, I get it. Yeah. Uh, the 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 Republican convention I'm a New York City guy, right? I lived in New York City for 40 years. Yeah. Trump, before he got to be president, right? All those years before, he was a joke in New York City. Nobody took him seriously. In July of 2016, when I played at that thing, yeah, he wasn't going to win. Yeah. Everybody thought, no, Hillary. Yeah. Hillary's in. Yeah. You know, it's going to The first night at that convention, when he was introduced and he came out, in the in the rock and roll smoke right you know yeah it, it looked like a it looked like a poison show or yeah said motley Crue show yeah, or yeah. Something, you right know? and i looked at jeff yeah like, the keyboard player and he looked at me and jeff said he's gonna win yeah. we went yeah we're oh shit man so the yeah. crowd went crazy the crowd went crazy uh, and here we yeah. are here we are hold up you know yeah well, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a political person. You know? it, yeah, you just took a gig. Uh, I, yeah, it was a gig. It paid a lot. Okay. You know, I got to pay all my guys, give them a real good payday for three or four days' work, and I took home a bunch of money. You know, um, but I never ever thought when I when I first got the gig yeah. and took the, I never thought he was going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? well, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't now that I know where the guy's really at. I would never do it again. Sure. Yeah. No, you're not going to play Trump's party. Yeah. No. Well, that's good. Well, man, I wish you great luck with this record. And uh, it was certainly great talking to you. I love talking about Thank music. You, and, uh, you know, and take care of yourself, man. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Okay. That was GE and me talking guitars and whatnot. Uh, the new album coming out in August is uh, called Stony Hill. It's a collaboration with the soul singer Leroy Bell. Let's play some uh, guitar.
Elmer lives. 